If you enjoyed this podcast, you might be interested to know that Tent Theology is running a spring school starting on the 29th of March and running every two weeks until the 3rd of May. In the spring school, we'll be going through the Sermon on the Mount, line by line. I ran a similar study session last year, and I asked the students for some feedback and whether we should do this again. The texts that we read were provocative and I really think left an indelible mark upon my heart as I continue to engage in the world, um, both as honestly just a human, but also one that's engaging within community. So I highly recommend The Spring School. It's a great accompaniment to Stephen's brilliant podcast. For more information and to register, visit the Tent Theology website or send an email to info at It's the most amazing adventure you could possibly go on and I would thoroughly recommend it. Welcome fellow traveler. You are now listening to the Tent Theology Podcast. Each week we have a tent talk where we pursue the renewing of the Christian social and political imagination. Justin Bronson Berenger, friend of the show, I'm so glad that you've come back to join the tent because I have uh, been getting a handful of emails from people, from listeners, and I've just thought I'd really like to just get Justin on to talk about them. And the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was I'm, Justin doesn't know this, by the way, listeners. I said, I'll, I'll wait until we're we're actually on the recording to tell you what it is we're going to talk about. So I I basically get a bunch of emails about violence and the use of violence and or I'm speaking and I'll give a talk and before people will ask their questions and like before they've even finished answering the question I know what they're going to ask like it's so predictable as day follows night right you will get a, a handful of the same questions and and objections and people think it's their knockdown argument and what I wanted to do was kind of commiserate with a fellow traveler like you. And I wanted to find out from you, like, what are the, what are the cliche questions? What are the things that you always get? How do you deal with them? Not, and sometimes these questions are not coming from a bad place. So that you can tell the difference, can't you, between the arrogant person who's like, oh yeah, well, what about Hitler? And they think that that's some knockdown argument. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you get somebody going, but what about Hitler? And you can tell that they genuinely want to know how to be a follower of Jesus and what about Hitler? So I wanted to to talk about this, not in a sense of like mockery of these people. I want to talk about genuine questions, mm-hmm. but uh, I just thought, would you mind sharing the load with me? Could we Could we talk about that stuff as well as some of these listener questions that have popped up? Absolutely. I love, I love talking about those questions because you're right, I think for a lot of folks, e- even some of the ones who ask it in kind of a argumentative way mm. are still seeking, you know, like they're, they're still, because they've presumably, if they're Christians, you know, they've read something from Jesus and they, they've had to think about some of yeah. these things. Yeah. Um, but, but a lot of the same, you know, same list of, about 15 questions or so I can usually count on in these conversations. 
You can, um, can't you? And, yeah. And some of them are really good questions that I still, I mean, I have responses to, but I still struggle with, as, as my um, advisor said in, in my first book, that's actually about this, the case not worth fighting for, uh, D. Stephen Long wrote that he was a reluctant pacifist. Right. And I, I liked that. That's a good way to think about that for me in some sense, like in some sense, I guess there's a way of saying I might even be a reluctant Christian Yeah, because to be a Christian means that my life has to be somebody else's, that my life doesn't belong to me anymore. Right. And so uh, there's times when I want to back off from, from all of the above. Um, but something about Jesus just, keeps pulling me back in the work of the Holy Spirit, I think. Yeah. And it's not because it's some triumphalistic winner. Do you know who Pete Gregg is? Do you know, have you ever come across Pete Gregg? That name sounds familiar. He's the founder of the 24 seven prayer movement. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Wrote some brilliant books, uh, God on mm-hmm. mute, for example. Um, but <laughs> so I, you know, I wrote a Christian history book a few years ago. History oh, of yeah. Christianity. And it, mm-hmm. it's 20 chapters, one chapter per century. And it's kind of a rollicking romp through the, 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 the history of, the Christ, of Christianity. But it's all kings and popes. It's all yeah. men, basically. And, and uh, Pete, I asked Pete to be like, to, to endorse it, you know, to write the back, one of the back endorsements of it. And, he, and he, came, he kindly agreed to do it. But he did say to me, he said, you know, someday somebody needs to write a history book that tells more than just the story of the winners of the people yeah. on the top, because actually Christianity is for losers. It's, it's a yeah. loser. It's a loser faith. It's for the weak. Yeah. It's a, it fails all the time. The authentic Christians fail all the time. They are not legends in their own lifetime. They do not get rich. They do not get powerful. And so what are my next projects? <laughs> I've actually come off uh, Facebook. Today is the day that I've come off Facebook. And one of the reasons I've come off Facebook was I was realizing it was diverting a lot of my attention. A lot of my energy was being spent on Facebook, having conversations with different people and things. When I realized one of the things I really want to preserve my energy for is I want to create, I'm going to work on this new project, Church History, Christianity for Losers. And I'm going to try and I'm going to try and tell that similar. I want a T-shirt. Yeah, right. And (laughs) some of uh, kind of a similar format to my history of Christianity book. But this time telling the story of all the radical weirdos and losers who. Yeah. I mean, if I'm honest, my history of Christianity is absolutely filled with people who who bore no resemblance whatsoever to the cause or purpose of Christ. And so now I realize, I mean, I wrote that book 10 years ago or so. And, but now I realize, oh yeah, that's not a history of Christian. Well, it might be a history of Christianity. It is not a history of people who follow the way of Jesus. Well, and that's mostly, I remember this very distinctly years ago when I was in seminary, I was in a church history class and um, the professor said something to the effect of, I wrote it down at the time, but said something that, to the effect of, the Anabaptists were the most like Jesus, mm. but we're not going to talk about them because I think they were too too radical or something to that effect. I know, I, I insane. Remember this, this professor yeah. saying this, yeah. and and 
I had to take two church history classes in seminary, kind of, they always break it up, you know, pre-Reformation, post-Reformation, so that kind of thing, and you're right, it was, it was 95% or more of the history was about the, the leaders, the, the, you know, not necessarily, you know, it's interesting, because we, we have these stories of the St. Francis's of the church, right, but they don't seem to make it in, they, they, they make it into their own books or resources, but they don't, they don't play a part in much, many Christian histories, unless they're a history that's focused on something like poverty. For instance, uh, Kelly Johnson's book, The Fear of Beggars, kind of tells a history of, of poverty and begging in the church. Um, and, and now, in some way, I think it's a, it's a better church history, even though that's not what I think she was trying to do, but in some ways, it's a better church history in the sense that you're talking about, I love, I, I want, I'm, I want this book to be out. So yeah. And we treat, I, I mean, think about it. Like we treat the Anabaptists as the weird anomaly in Christian history. And we don't treat Martin Luther or John Calvin as weird anomalies. When Martin Luther and John Calvin have blood on their hands, they literally endorsed the killing of their theological enemies. And we yeah. treat them yeah. as Christian leaders and we treat Anabaptists as the weird anomalies. They are, it's just insane. Like we're culturally insane. We've lost our moral compass. And yeah, today I, I, we're looking at, uh, today as Justin and I talk, he's living in a country in which a bunch of Christians who think they're Christians have lost their moral compass and have storming the Capitol's building. So right? What does it feel like to live in an insane country that's lost its tiny mind, my friend? <laughs> I mean, yeah, as I, as I watched the stuff that unfolded yesterday, yesterday yeah. we're talking, yeah. I, I just was almost, I, I was like, I, I not surprised. No, right. Nothing about this shocked anyone, really. I mean, people like some of the newscasters were acting shocked, but I think most of us were like, yeah, I, I one of my I saw somebody I think tweeted uh, I wish I remember who so I could give them credit but they said yeah well that escalated over the past four years <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> but but really you know it's not it, it, the whole Trumpism thing seems to be part of what would be an, the natural progression it's an so absolutely much logical the, progression the yeah. yeah yeah so it it makes sense but then. At the same time, I can't help but and pissed off and all of that when I see people waving flags that say Jesus is my savior, or, Trump is my president, yeah, or they have um, the, the the bright yellow Jesus save sign as they're in the middle of literally an armed mob. Yeah, I know. And I mean, I I don't. I, I, I was telling you this earlier, but I don't have really any intelligent commentary on it right now because it's still unfolding in part, but also it's just, how do you, how does Jesus, uh, Stephen Colbert has that, uh, or no, no, it was uh, Rain Wilson, I think that has a great quote about basically how did, how did Jesus in America go from being a, you know, poor peasant, so on and so forth to becoming a gun toting, you I know, know. they're great quote. Yeah, that, I mean, that's about all I had to say is like, I'm, I'm utterly confused. And I often feel like I'm the 
sort of crazy one when I look at some of this and and see myself not fitting in in any of it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah. Sorry, I don't have anything to help offer. No, I helpful there because I it's just, just still something I'm reflecting on. I feel like capturing the immediate the immediate feeling is part of what I wanted to do. You know, that's actually part of it. It's kind of like, what does it feel like right now? Yeah. yeah. I, I hope that that historians in the future capture the confusion and the lack of of good commentary mm. that yep. a lot of folks have to offer right now because you know, we, it's, it, it would be kind of like this. Maybe maybe I'll give an analogy and then I'll leave it be. But it'd be kind of like taking, um, you know, a plate or, or a vase or something and smashing it on the floor. Mm-hmm. So that that's what's been happening. That vase has been smashed and then putting it back together. And right now I'm still just looking at a pile of broken pieces. And I think that's what most folks are looking at. And yeah there hasn't been the enough uh, the, enough time to look at those pieces and say, how can we put those back together? Or maybe take the analogy too far. Do we go ahead and get a new vase? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which I, I think might be the option we need to, yeah, to head yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. But, but everything about this political cycle in the U.S. has screamed, we're getting more of the same you know maybe maybe a less evil version like the the more banal evil that that um hannah Arendt talks about you know joe biden is 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 more banal evil compared yeah. to the the outright um insidious in your face evil of donald trump right well no but it's gonna get worse i mean like as as so people who thrive already Trump people think that they're a parent they they already think that they're a persecuted minority so what's going to happen now that they really are a persecuted minority like it's not going to get better yeah and and that's that's a question that's interesting to me because frankly a lot of the 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 Trump folks are 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 my people those those are the people I come from right both in terms of my religious heritage and in terms of my my family you know i'm i'm from a family from rural north carolina and you know my people are are rednecks and folks from appalachia and you know um my my wife was born in rural tennessee we like these are our people right in 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 so many ways and yet like we don't know how to talk to our, our own parents sometimes about because everybody everybody's always like if you don't speak up you're doing violence and and I, I have a point where I agree with that right there's a certain but like that doesn't mean that I need to storm off from Christmas dinner you know because we were talking about like I, I, I how else can I have these conversations with people I love people that I know people that I I understand, or at least I thought I understood. Mm. Um, you know, I grew up in a in a in a in a military family, and it, it, this is weird because part of that time we lived in Alaska, and we went to a Southern Baptist church, which now looking back in Alaska it, is hilarious <laughs> to me that as far north as we can go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we're in a Southern Baptist church, and of course, at the time as a kid, I didn't know why it was the Southern Baptist church, right? Like I didn't know that 
they broke off because they were pro-slavery, pro -slaves, right? Like, yeah. I didn't know this history and all that. So yeah. I grew up in that and then some in the Churches of Christ in a military family. And so, like, I see how a lot of this, why it came together the way yeah. it did. Yeah. But I struggle with, with what's next. Yeah. Right. Like I don't, there's been so many options thrown about um, and, and I don't find most of them very compelling. Right. You know, there's been um, calls for like that Benedict Oxman book that was written years back. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. Part of me would love to retreat into some, yeah. you know, separate Christian community that is not, I love going to Bible camp, right? Like when I was growing up that day and we would talk about it, like, this is our, our bubble for the week, yeah, right? We right, get right. To come and we just worship and we, we pray together and we encourage, and it's great. But, and I imagine a lot of monastic living, you know, has an aspect like a great community, but at the same time, retreating doesn't seem right. And then there's of course been plenty of uh, commentary about, well, then our goal is, you know, it's sort of, following Foucault is we got to get the political power to do the good things, whatever the good things might be. And I don't know that that's compelling enough either. I, I, I'll end it with this. It relies on the fact that the people that are in power have virtue. And I don't know that, that they do. most political leaders have virtues like courage, and wisdom and the like they might have degrees they might have relevant legal knowledge they might have you know but i think they lack as a yeah. general rule lack the kind of virtues that that we would hope for and therefore yeah we end up with vicious policy even with people who often are intending to do what they think is good with that and that's where i'll leave it be for now yeah it, it, it really is broken. We just have to get used to the idea that saying something is broken is not some sort of metaphor. It really is broken. Like, I thought it was yeah, funny that, that your, really your two broken. options, right? The Benedict option, which is intellectual, informational bubble of like-minded people, and the Foucault option, which is control the language and levers of power. Both those options lead you to storming the White House or the Capitol yeah, building, I think right? So. I think they both I lead think in I, that I, direction. I, one thing I, I did write on Facebook, one thing that, that may or may not be a helpful contribution, but I said something right as all this was happening yesterday, that this is the first time that I think Romans 13 has been relevant right? Um, in a long time <laughs> in, in our political discussions. Right. Because I'm pretty sure that we're not supposed to violently overthrow the government. Yeah, if it has any like, applications, don't try and overthrow <laughs> the government with arms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, so I was like, so there, we, we've got that. And, and then the irony of a group of people who've been demanding that other people follow Romans 13 and, I know, and I know. are the law and order group. This is the law and order group. It's not, I posted, it's not the anarchists. It's not the anarchists that are breaking into the White House. It's the law and order people. I mean... And it's always been the law and order people, frankly. It's a Blue Lives Matter crowd that beat to death a policeman at the Capitol. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It, it, it's broken. It's broken. It's a broken it information is. ecosystem. It has been an utter it, failure. It we are in the smoking wreckage of the utter failure 
And from our point of view, from the Christian point of view, it's the utter failure of American Christianity to have a moral compass. Yeah. To live like in any it way is. a Jesus-shaped imagination. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say, I will say my experience, I think this is true as I've studied church history and the like, there's always a remnant. Yes, right. And we have that and i've been fortunate to be a part of communities yeah there is that i think are that um or are trying to trying to be that um and and who are trying to do other than the options that we just talked about um but those communities are are a minority and i think they're becoming more and more minority yeah. Um, because Jesus is for losers. Get used to it. It's easy to walk away from the church right now in America. It's yeah, really, really easy to walk away and not look back. Um, but don't you think they should? I mean, me because the church should be the place that everyone wants to be. Yeah, but don't you think that right now, you know, throw a dart, throw a dart <laughs> at the dartboard of American Christianity, and likely it is you will hit a church that you should leave that it would be better for you not to be yeah, a part of that I, community than to be in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that is unfortunately true. I was, I was talking to a friend last night um, about changing churches from the inside and how the, you know, that's very difficult. And sometimes maybe even, I, I won't go as far as impossible, but, but very difficult to do. Um, and so she and I were talking about how church planting uh, uh, of some sort might be the best option forward for Christians right now. Planting communities of people that have these shared commitments, whether they're, you know, 10 people or a thousand people, you know, doesn't, but having new, these new church communities popping up uh, out of a dead or dying Christianity. Yeah. Well, and the dividing line is going to be it's going to be nationalism and, and war, isn't it? Violence, basically. Like the, that's the dividing line. It's going yeah. to be followers of Jesus who do not seek to kill their enemies in the name of their country and Christians who do. I think that's going to be the dividing yeah. line. It's not going to be about the Trinity or what kind of music you play, right? Or how many, how many percentage of your income you tithe. It's not going to be about what you think about the Old Testament. It's going to be, are you a nationalist or are you not? And I think that's the mm. clear dividing line now. And I welcome that. At I'm least. interested to see how that'll, how that'll play out because I don't think many, if it, well, very few American Christians like that, right? So the dividing line appears to be, for most Christians, it's, it, it has to do right now with, with LGBT. Right relations yeah um that seems to be like the shibboleth right now that that and then of course now your your commitment to this politic or this political candidate or party or that one those seem to be the two dividing lines but i think you might be right that the actual one is the one that nobody's most people aren't even noticing Yeah. yeah but we'll separate out folks who who are and by the way, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a 50, 50 divide. I'm not saying 
half of oh of, yeah i think it's a tiny tiny minority are going to realize there can't be a nationalist or a patriot and a follower of jesus and they're going to leave yeah and they're not going to leave yeah. because they've lost their faith in jesus they're going to leave because they love jesus more than they ever did and they realized he is the mm -hmm. only way the truth and the life and yeah. we are going to have a tiny remnant and that is but the other thing yeah. is it's always been that if you're going to do your history of christian losers it's always been a tiny yeah. remnant. Hey, that reminds me. I'm not in the least calling my listener a loser. But she <laughs> is, I think, one of the faithful remnants that you described. And I'm not going to say her name because I don't want to identify her or her, or her husband. But she wrote to me, and this is why I'm, I got you on the mic. Because she wrote to me and she said, look, my husband works for the U.S. Defense Department. And... I'm not sure what he actually does, but he works for the Defense Department. And she's like convinced that the way of Jesus is the way of nonviolence. Mm. And she's legitimately asking me, what do we do? Our sole income relies on this. What would you say? Uh, you wrote a book, The Business of the Business, just been published by Whitfenstock, available in all good bookshops. What would you say to this, to our dear, lovely listener who is a follower of Jesus and who whose income right now is dependent on the U.S. Department of Defense? Uh, I'd, I'd say a couple of things. First, I, I want to, I'll give a little autobiographical, uh, autobiographical um, response. Mm. So my mom was my, my first um, stepdad, who was my stepdad, who, who was raised me and all, um, who unfortunately died at the beginning of last year. But uh, he spent most of his career in the military. He worked at the Pentagon. He worked okay. at NORAD. He, um, he um, did overseas tours as a civilian contractor. Right. Um, all of that. And then my, mo my mom married another guy who actually owned a defense contracting company. Wow. And the okay. reason I mentioned those is because the second was later in my life. It's after I'd already published a faith not worth fighting for it's you know i'd been thinking about nonviolence, and so i remember i went to a picnic uh uh the company picnic that they were hosting and i was sitting beside a guy who was responsible for the company's um i think they do something to do with software for drones like like right. um fighting drones yeah right weapon weapons drones um and I remember sitting there thinking, how do, what is the conversation I have with this person? And I, I mostly listened. And then I said a, a few things and I, but I, but I think the reason that, that I bring those stories up is because that indicates I only have like, in some way, a small taste of what this, hmm. this questioner is going through. So, so it's kind of like, in a sense, almost asking me, um, you know, about the experiences of a, of a African-American or something like that right. here. Yeah. Like, but at the same time, I can, I can look at enough of it and see that, that it's, com that it's complex. Yes. Because the first issue that I think um, we have to consider is the reality that we're all enmeshed in this. Yeah. yeah. So, I think we should try to disentangle ourselves to 
you know, it's it's a, it's that's part of the discipleship process. Actually, I think is yeah. disentangling from corrupt and evil systems and and whatever. So, but at the same time, the complication of it, um, and the fact that we're all all involved uh, or all um, implicit. Uh, no, complicit. Not complicit. Implicit, yeah. Sorry, complicit in this um, is worth considering because then the listener might also then add to her question other questions which might not be satisfying, but questions about where am I buying my clothes or what kind of clothes am I buying are rel- they're relevant in the same way, I think, because those clothes very well might be made by violent means, right? So. That's the first thing I say is is recognizing the complexity of it. Um, and the second thing I think I I would do it, so here here's a, here's another re- re- related example. I'm a non-voter. I think we've talked about that. Um, my wife did vote this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, she she registered. Um, she did not tell me <laughs> she registered to vote. She's like, I know if I told you, you would give me so much grief. And so I, I found out, like, after she voted or something, she's like, oh, by the way. And, I, um, and so I've got, I've got that discussion uh, in a similar way going on in our household. Right. And I think this is getting too much maybe into marriage counseling. <laughs> I think it's important to regularly communicate that. And maybe, maybe... I, I don't want to say put an ultimatum on the table. I think that might, but, but something that, that mm. verges on that mm-hmm. saying we really need to get out of this Yeah. or yeah. I'm not sure what our marriage means. Right. Because I don't know what it means to, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming, and I don't know if this is correct, but I'm assuming both of these people are Christians. You said that, I think. Not I don't even know. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So that would also potentially make a difference, right? Yeah. And so yeah. to answer first, assuming they're both Christians, I think that it would be appropriate for the questioner the, to sit down yeah. with some of the arguments yeah. against the, this, this kind of work. Yeah, and have the frank, honest discussion and say, "Listen, I am so convicted about this that I think that that it could potentially put a strain on our marriage, and so yeah. I need you to deeply consider, like, let's spend a year like studying this together, um, and then at the end of that year, see where we come out, and maybe it's even appropriate." At some point in that, again, I'm, I'm getting maybe out of my depth here, but if it gets to the point where you need to bring in a, a counselor, uh, I think that could be appropriate because that could be a really difficult discussion to have to say, I love you, but I love Jesus in a way that compels me hmm. to want to and have to live like this. And so I don't know that I can take the money you're earning from one of the most, if not the most corrupt industries on the face of the planet, how can we, how can we be together? Right. I, I, I don't want to encourage divorce. Let, let me put that out there. That that's, that's, but I think when Jesus gives that whole, let the dead bury their own dead. Like when people come to him with these excuses, 
for why they can't follow right now. Yeah. Jesus gives them responses and reasons yeah. why they need to follow him, even if there's other important stuff going exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If So then the answer would be a little bit different, I think, if, if let's say, she's a Christian and he's not. Um, then I think what I wrote about First Peter uh, might be especially helpful in the essay I wrote called mm. uh, Subordination and Freedom. All right. Justin, can I just pause you? That essay is one of the most brilliant theology, biblical essays I've ever read. And that's wow. the reason why I'm talking to you now, because I was so impressed by that essay that I said, I got to meet that guy. And that's why eventually we've become friends. So yes, uh, I, tell I'm us the title. Disappointed you. I, I put the, the, the best of me out there for you. You saw the best of me first. And is that I, essay freely available online? I think, I think, yeah. Well, yes, it definitely is the whole book. In fact, there's three, it's a, it's, there's a three volume series on it's, um, on anarchism and religion. I wish, um, and it's all free online and it's all peer reviewed, university published, all that. What's stuff, the title? You know. What's the name of the, the title of this essay? Um, so the title of my essay is Subordination and Freedom, Anarchist or Tracing Anarchist Themes in First Peter, I believe yeah. is it. And so I, I, about... I will tell, can I just pause? Listeners, yeah. listeners, if you send an email to info at tenttheology.com, I will send you a free PDF copy of this essay. Please, All right. Continue, Justin. <laughs> um, I, so in that essay, I talk about problematic passages in first Peter. And one of those is the whole wives submit to your husband thing. Um, and I, I, I won't go into detail here, but I think it gives some good example for how a Christian spouse could win over a non-Christian spouse to Christianity um, via example. So for instance, if, if this questioner were to change their practices radically, like saying, I'm going to spend as little of this money as I possibly can, because I think this all money is dirty in a literal and metaphorical sense. But, but this money, I'm going to spend as little of it as I can over the course of this year while we talk about this, because I want to set an example. I want to say, look, I'm willing to go without whatever things that might be. You know, for some people, it's clothes. For, for my wife and I, it's definitely uh, eating out at restaurants way too much. You know, it, it, but everybody's got things they spend money on that are unnecessary. A lot of them are because just the, the, the consumerist culture we live in and, you know, we're told we'll be happy if we... But all I have to say is give some stuff up over the course of that year while having the discussion because i think hmm. what could happen and there's no guarantee in any of this right which is is such a fascinating thing to me about so much of christianity um is is we're called to faithfulness we're called to plant and water and then we're told that only god brings the growth yeah. which, which is this so i just plant and water so i think the way that that the questioner could plant and water perhaps is to combine the conversation about it with concrete practices like giving up extras and, and, and maybe even saying, 
I'm going to take a percentage of this money and give it to some kind of anti-war cause, um, whatever, or Christian peacemaker teams. There's, there's, you know, there's a, a, a variety of good causes. Yeah, there are. Yeah. And I'm going to give it to one of those, any money that I save from not buying clothes or buying the, you know, going out to eat or whatever the thing is that she's, you know, the things are she's interested in, because I think then then we we have what i think makes up the 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 dual aspects of christian evangelism and christian discipleship and that is the combination of proclamation and um example we'll say or or praxis right so proclamation and praxis to keep it uh alliterative um we do love those proclaiming it through the discussion and she's practicing it. And, and, and to me, I would find that if, if my wife, and she, my wife has done stuff like this. My wife has helped us greatly simplify our lives. Um, and I saw what she was doing when she's like emptying out her closet and taking her clothes to donate them. And I saw when she went through each room in our house and got rid mm. of stuff we didn't need. And it wasn't all that like just because, oh, this less clutter will make me happy. No, that, that might have been part of it. But she has a serious conviction that Christian life should be uh, a simple life with minimal yeah. Yeah. possessions, and yeah. that we should spend the maximum amount that we can giving to others. And yeah. so I saw her not just say that, yeah. but I saw her help us create budgets so that we could put giving in there as a priority i saw her get rid of stuff and sell stuff and all of that and so that to me was compelling um even though i believed all of that stuff i i found the actual practice compelling enough that i tried to start joining in which is hard for me as someone who's naturally um i think inclined towards hoarding you can see a little bit behind me um uh, well you can see the listeners can't see but behind me there's a huge mess everyone i've got um, more mess than my... you do you can see my mess as well yeah. i think you're it's funny justin your your wife organized. your wife your story of your wife doing your thing my my wife is is just the same way and it's absolutely brilliant because she said the other day she's like you always talk a lot about loving your neighbors but like what what do we do about our actual neighbors our literal neighbors and she's and she's now meeting with them and she's some one of them there her husband died and so claire mm. my wife wanted to go to attend the graveside we can't go to churches because of lockdown but she attended yeah. the graveside service and she meets with them and she and she's getting me to come along and do these things now mm-hmm. and i don't want to do it because i don't want to meet my neighbors and she's like yeah but you say you love your neighbors so what's wrong with you got to love your actual neighbors and it's yeah. just brilliant because there's no argument against it she's absolutely yeah. right and it's her action that is just it's the it's pragmatism and proclamation put together and it's it, yeah. yeah it's absolutely I could, true <laughs> i could tell story after story about my wife but i think i think that the 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 questioner's spouse would find that compelling i no, don't just know that at the end of that year that they no. would find a new career and i don't know what their skill set is i don't i don't know any of that so i can't you know but i i also yeah. believe very much in the faithfulness of god um 
which is a which is a difficult thing for me to say sometimes because I actually don't know what that means um, for the most part. But I just noticed how when people make decisions, hard, mm. tough decisions, mm. that God blesses them. And this is not this. I want to be very clear. This is not prosperity gospel theology. This this doesn't mean that she, you know, they make a decision and they're going to get a bigger, better house and a better job. And, of course not. No, it could be very demanding. It could be very painful. But I think we, one of the things that God provides us with in this faithfulness is, is shalom, like a, a deep sense. And I've met so many people that have left careers that they thought for various reasons were unethical. And they went into doing something else to make significantly less money. They had to give up. I, I could, there's one couple I have in mind specifically who lived in a very nice, very large house, gave that up, gave up their, their lifestyle of, of relative affluence because they realized that the careers they were in were, and, and they realized that there was need in their community that they had a skill set to mm. meet. And so um, I, I just, think that I, I would encourage the listener to mm. try to move forward on that and 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 all the while praying God I'm trusting in your faithfulness I want to be like Jesus I want to follow Jesus and I realize that that means taking up my cross Do you know much... <laughs> if I need to be crucified for this yeah then that's what I and, and and I get that that sounds easy for me to say because I'm not in that marriage, right? And, yeah. and I can't imagine like you know I'm I've been married for almost 15 years now and I can't imagine, you know, my wife and I we've had some discussions about voting and stuff for sure, um, but if if something like this were to come up in our marriage, whatever it might be, some major point of conflict, like especially that had to do with with our faith. Like mm-hmm. how we would address that. Like, I think I don't want to make light of that by any means. I want to, I want to give this the seriousness that it deserves. Um, so I hope those suggestions are helpful, but I also wanted to, to just remind folks I'm making them from a distance. And, and these are, this is, this is a good argument for solid Christian community, right? Because I, I, so it's good to have it's 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 good to have to have you know if I'm an expert experts talking about things, but it's also it's as important and maybe more important to have a concrete community in which this kind of thing can be discussed. Yeah, and not just discussed, but potentially cause the other members of community to sacrifice. So maybe. The husband quits the job. Maybe he's convicted. He quits the job. And that group needs to pitch in for a little while and help them pay their bills. Right? Because they've oh. come and they've said, this is not a faithful way yeah. of living. And we want to help you live faithfully. So we're going to step. So like, so yeah, a lot of this is, seems like utopian dreaming. And for a lot of folks, it, it, it feels like that because they've never experienced it have experienced community yeah. like that yeah. where we yeah. talked about our finances and the like. hey justin listen to this let let here's here you go this isn't utopian dreaming i'm thinking of it I, just as you were talking i was thinking we got to put our money where our mouth if we're followers of jesus we need to put our money where our mouth is and if somebody is going to financially 
take a hit because they are following the way of Jesus, then it's on, not on the state and welfare or not on unemployment or not on that individual to have to find another job. We need to step up. Yeah. We step up to the plate. And seriously, I was just thinking like our lovely listener, I don't know if her husband is a follower of Jesus, but I just, I just did a quick little calculation because I know how many listeners we get in this podcast. If every listener who listens to this podcast said to my list, to my friend, we'll give you $5 a month. I'll throw in five right now. I'll throw in five. I, that I, I person even, would I'd be able to throw in 20. I will too. And that person would be able to tie the, to, to, to t- keep things ticking over until they find a different job. We put our, I'll do it. I'll do it. I know who you I are. I think we should. I think, I think doing some kind of fundraiser like that, combine that with, with her having, being able to have some discussions with her husband and, and, and try. I would totally practices. do that. Yeah. Because you can't lay down the law and then not lift a finger to help. Yeah. And, absolutely. and uh, the, the honest truth is working for the U.S. Defense Department, you are working for an evil organization that does evil. That's the honest truth. It, it uh, is. And, and, yeah. And we want to help you not do that anymore. <laughs> and it's been, I've been told that it's a bit academic, but, but my new book on the military industrial complex, the business of war, uh, the, this edited volume, I think it lays out well why this is an evil and corrupt industry. Yeah. And for Christians specifically, how it, um, how it stands in opposition to the way of Christ. Yeah. Um, and so I think it could also be a helpful read if, if this listener wants to have a, a discussion with her spouse to, to go through some of these chapters yeah. together. Um, yeah. and, and, and also the faith not worth fighting for, because I imagine he would have a lot of those objections. It, it's, it's not hard to believe in the military and the defense industry uh, in America, especially, that what you are doing, yeah, is is good. Is good. It's for freedom. It's for democracy. And, and for and, America, and like very good people, genuinely good people who want to help and think that they're doing. That I've I've met soldiers and stuff like this who who absolutely believe that they're putting their lives on the line so that for freedom for people's freedom. Yeah, of course. Um, so, I imagine that you know, if if her husband has those really, you know, those good objections, but is is still trying to honestly seek to do good in the world, that that a faith not worth fighting for might be helpful for her and, and him in responding to those questions that yeah. that he he's going to have come up. You know, the what about Hitler questions? The the what about the, the, the you know what about the, all right the we're going to talk about i that. tried to respond to the what about um uh the the people that have come before us that 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 died for our freedoms that kind of question like yeah. shouldn't we honor their memory by by perpetuating the work that they did right like those kind of questions for someone in that industry i could see definitely coming up okay and we're going to talk let me pause you there justin responses. we're going to yeah. go into that this is like a second phase of this of this podcast to end this first phase i got no roadmap (laughs) to end this first phase 
I am going to put my money where my mouth is. Listener, I know who you are. You know who you are. I will give you, I will donate 10 pounds a month to you if you need it. And I am going to ask my listeners to do the same to, to 10 pounds or less. Between pounds and dollars? Uh, 10 pounds a month is about, about $20. But I'm happy to do $20 but like, a month. Yeah, as well and, and, and I will and, do that if you need it. If that's what you, if 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 that would help you to unwean yourself from being supported or finding support through the machineries of war, then then I will do it, and I will help, and I and I want to help court happen. So, info at tenttheology.com is the easiest thing in the world to send me that email, and I can get send me an email, and I can get you. We can get something going. We're going yeah, to put our absolutely. money where our mouth is. Yeah. And, yeah. and perhaps we could, I know that um, there's been a variety of churches and, and, and whatnot that have various ongoing funds for particular yeah. kinds of good work. Maybe yeah. this could be something that, that could run through the Tent Theology website. Well, this is what, you know, we can't help everyone, but we might could help. We can help our families own. that are trying to get, get out of, industries like that the the sermon on the mount was not directed at individuals it was is a collective it's oh, yeah. directed at the collective we the collective you blessed are you who mourn and it, jesus wasn't push, pointing a finger at one person he was pointing a finger at lots of people and yeah. that's what we're going to do so anyway and until groups of followers of jesus start doing that this world will remain as shitty and awful as it already is as long as we're addicted to individualism and financial success yep. and security. I think, I think one of the things that, that English language Bibles, all of them yeah. need to use my good Southern phrase of y'all yeah. whenever it's, whenever all it's y'all. plural, because we read it individualistically, <laughs> but if it says y'all do this or don't do that, then we're like, Oh, this is blessed are all y'all who are peacemakers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then it's, a, it's a group thing. Yeah. So uh, I think Bible translators out there use y'all from y'all. here on out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can we, can we, we got, we got some more time. Um, probably about another 20 minutes or so. Can you tell me like, what is your top, what is your first, your main cliched objection that you get when you talk about nonviolence and pacifism? What is the and let's talk sincere here. Like, what's the most sincere question that you get? Do you think that the most common objection that you get? Um, and I have I launched this on you. I haven't asked you ahead of time, so I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> Could be anything. Um, no, I think I think the most sincere one that is asked the most often is, "What about protecting my neighbor, my loved okay. ones?" Yeah. Okay. Um, right. And even this, this is, this is the classic just war, right? I mean, it really comes down to that. All yeah. the points of it, you can boil down to to protect the vulnerable. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's always the question, whether it's an individual protection of say your friends or whatever, or it's uh, uh, a collective protection via, you know, military power or whatever. Yeah. So, what do we say? What do you say? I think I say go read the essays in the faith I'm fighting for because they're, they're going to tell you more than I can say now. But but a, a couple shorter answers 
have to do again with this idea of proclamation and practice. So a discussion that my wife and I have had to have, we both, we both call ourselves Christian pacifists, nonviolent followers of Christ, whatever language you want to put to that, mm -hmm. um, that should, you know, should we be violently attacked in our home or whatever, Yeah, that I do not intend to use violence, at least lethal violence. Right. I don't yeah. keep a gun or anything. I've got one decorative, like a couple decorative weapon type things I picked up in my travels that I thought were neat, but they're not going to help. Like I'm, I, and we had, I had to have that discussion with her and yeah. say, I will do, do whatever I can to protect you and our kids, but I'm not going to kill mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to, and she would now say, I don't want you to kill for me. Yeah. And, and I, that's where I found there's a really interesting essay in the book um, that was written by Amy Laura Hall. Oh, um, yeah. Famous Kierkegaardian scholar. Yeah. Wow, brilliant. It, um, and it was co-written with Kara Slade, who now works um, at Princeton, and she's a leader in the uh, Episcopal Church. Yeah. And what they did is kind of write a feminist take on this. Yeah. Where they said something to the effect of basically one of the things that Christian women need to do is to say to Christian men, need your protection. We don't want you to use violence to protect right. us. Right. So right. if they're convicted of nonviolence, that they should communicate that to the relevant people in their lives, their spouse yeah. or their, you know, whoever it is, yeah. say, I would rather die. Uh, I mean, be a martyr. I mean, that's if, if yeah. you're willing to die, I think willing that would put you in the category of martyr. Um, maybe yeah. I don't know the technicalities of that, but, but that I'm willing to die so that it can be a witness to the attacker. Yeah. But also I want to say that, that, we know this in America, there's been studies that if you have a gun in your home, it's more likely to harm yeah. somebody living in that home than it is to harm yeah. an intruder. So the statistics know, rocket straight up when that, as soon as you yeah. buy a gun, you have just almost immediately <laughs> made it so oh, likely that you're going to kill your own family member. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there's always, there's some, some great comedic bits about this. There's an Australian comedian that had a great bit, but like, if you have a gun, it should be locked up in a safe. Like that's the responsible thing to do, especially if there's children around, right? So the intruder comes into your house and you're like, hold on, I got to do the combination and get my shotgun out. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, like, give me a, like, so a lot, a lot, a lot of times people ask this and they think my position is unrealistic. And I want to say, well, honestly how realistic is yours there there yeah. might be some people out there that are you know trained dead that can immediately get up out of bed and you know break somebody's neck with two fingers i'm sure those people exist but that's not the majority of us right, right. the majority of us regular folks a violent response would be difficult in a lot of situations and we've seen this again and again with American policing that the violence escalates 
violent. Oh, it's so um, I, linked. Police interaction escalates violence. It doesn't decrease it. Yeah. So yeah. there are all kinds of things you can do to disarm these these kinds of situations that don't include violence. Like I, I joke with my wife, but I'm serious about this, that if we were attacked in the street, the first thing I would do is drop my pants. Yeah, right. Because what you know like what would preach a burglar you know like more out more than 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 my fat pasty self getting naked right like you know that that's what my best friend (laughs) my best friend used to say that he said if somebody attacks me i'll pee on them that's the first thing i'll do (laughs) yeah right like so so some of this stuff sounds so stupid but that's why it makes sense because there's 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 unexpected there are expected responses we expect certain reactions to our actions yeah and so if i point a gun at somebody and say give me all your money i expect them to either give me their money or try to fight back there's a couple responses i expect yeah i do not expect them to get naked i do not expect (laughs) them to one of the other things i've talked about is that i would just start acting hysterical like just Break there the script. The, you yeah. know, stories. I've heard stories of like people dropping to their knees and praying out loud for their attackers. Yeah. Right? Like, and and the thing about this is none of it's guaranteed. No, of course but not. Neither is your having a gun or 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 you know some other weapon or self defense classes or there's no guarantee in any of this except that if we respond in violence, we've added to the violence in the yeah. world. That's yeah. the only guarantee. Yeah. In all well, of this. the other thing I will I often point out to people is um, that the New Testament is not that it, it's Jesus's injunctions and the early Christians who chose nonviolence in the face of violence. This wasn't theoretical to them. I mean, the the situations were house invasions. The Saul was murdering, breathing out threats of murder, and he was breaking into people's homes and dragging them away to persecute them. They did not kill Saul. They did not kill the Apostle Paul. They acted like Jesus asked them to do. They could have killed him. He was breaking into their homes. They could have done it. There's not a court in the, in the land that would have held against them. They were in their rights. In fact, they should have under roman and jewish law they should have fought back and killed saul but they didn't right and uh, when jesus is talking about soldiers and go the extra mile or turn the other cheek he's not talking about theoretical ivory tower sort of ideas he's talking about actual invasion actual soldiers actual violence which was actually being meted against you on a daily basis and he's saying this is how i want you to act so these things are not like some kind of weird theory which Jesus wasn't living in the real world. In fact, he was living in a more violent world than any of us live right now, including a world where capital, Washington capital gets invaded by Christian patriots. But like the, the whole idea is he's like, this is the world that Jesus is talking about. And he's asking his people and Stanley Harvass is very famous where he says, I don't practice nonviolence because it works i practice nonviolence because jesus asked me to yep and that i remember having a debate with oh i'm gonna name him i don't care uh chris valatin the bethel famous bethel preacher 
mm-hmm. had an I had a de- not a debate. I mean, I had a, a conversation with him. It was a friendly conversation, but he's he's not a you know he's a warmonger. Mm. He leads his church. I've I've listened to him lead his church in celebrate in cheering for American bombs dropped on Middle Eastern. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which so. Is, this uh, is evil. Unfortunately, for folks in the UK who might not be aware, other listeners around the world, that is an, a very common thing in many American churches. Of course. So he's not unique, but he did do it, and he does have a huge voice. He's a famous mm-hmm. household name in my circles. And Chris Vallotton says, oh, it's a good thing that Christians weren't pacifists because otherwise we'd all be speaking German right now. Oh, yeah. that. Line, and I looked yeah. at him and I was like, do you know what? There's worse things than speaking German. And one of them is disobeying the ever living God that you call Lord. That that is. Oh, that's good. I love that. Oh, but it, it, it has no purchase with these guys because nationalism is more important than the gospel. They yeah. do love patriotism more than Jesus. And at every single point, if any time following Jesus gets in the way of preserving and protecting your patriotic national identity, they go with nationalism over Jesus. It just happens again and again and again. And this is what's happening now. Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed in in my circles, and and as I've talked to other people, this seems to be widely true, that churches as outside of you know select group of like peace church traditions and stuff just generally don't talk about war and violence in any kind of serious way no so you have your you know patriotic celebratory services and you'll have the veterans stand up and everybody will all of that happens so there's war as a part of the community discussion in life but not any serious like biblical study on it or, or theological study from the history of the church. I've said or historical. Once, I'd say here again that I would love it if every Christian adopted just war theory. I would be absolutely thrilled with that. Yeah, we might actually have peace for once. Yeah, even though or I disagree with my sisters and brothers that, that are in the just war tradition. Yeah. I think that their take is within the, the the boundaries or whatever of people who are genuinely trying to follow Jesus and understand what that means, at least in the best of that tradition. People like Tobias Winwright, who is just fantastic, and his work on on just war and policing, top notch. And he's just one of the the nicest, kindest human beings. He's at St. Louis University. For anybody who wanted to like to look him up, but he writes, for instance, about what it is, he writes, uh, uh, he was one of the people who first started writing about um, uh, just postbellum, like what mm-hmm. do we do after or between wars? Yeah. And like, so he's writing a lot about like how to do peacemaking activities, you know, when a war ends. So, as to, so I think there's people like that. In fact, Tobias um, endorsed the faith not worth fighting for. Um, and, you know, it's a book on nonviolence. And he studied, he was a student of both Hauerwas and Yoder's. And I mention all of that to say, if we had serious just war folks in the church like that, if the yeah. church was teaching, had a class every year or two or three, as we're kind of going through the Gospels, we get to the Sermon on the Mount or whatever, let's have a serious discussion about war yeah. and peace. 
I mean, most most people think, yeah, most people think that most people think that just war means uh, a war is just if it's good for my country. That's how it gets used. Yeah, but they don't realize that a really a real just war. There has never actually been a just war, even World War Two, which is the most yeah. it's the poster child for just wars. Even that doesn't meet just war criteria, by the way, because one of the things that you're not supposed to do in a just war is you're not supposed to end the war. The victor is not supposed to benefit from the mm. war. You're not supposed mm -hmm. to end the war with more land than you started. And according to just war tradition, for example, yeah. uh, you're not allowed to target civilians. Well, go and visit Dresden if you want to find out whether the mm -hmm. Allies targeted civilians. And so there, there's a whole lot of total nonsense about just war. And the way it's usually used in evangelical, charismatic, Catholic circles is actually just, is it good for our country or not? Yeah. And that's not yeah. a just war. That's not, and that's why I wanted to point to somebody like Tobias for folks who are who are seriously thinking about this and they're not quite sure that nonviolence is the way that, that they that they feel Jesus mm. is calling them or whatever, that they could at least have a serious grounding in the just war tradition, which would make them functionally I will say I do think the just war tradition itself is a rebellion against the way of Jesus, by the way. I think in some ways that's true, um, but I also think it seems to me that that we're all, if we're working out our salvation in fear and trembling. Yeah, right, 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 yeah, yeah. Then I think I want to give as much grace and leeway to folks as I can right. that I see right. doing that. And yeah, so, right, fair enough, yeah. Yeah. I think that I could agree with you about that tradition. And at the same time, I think we'd both agree it's still probably preferable to any form of, you know, a serious just war tradition is preferable to nationalism and fascism. And yeah, right. Yeah. A you know, real just war. Kind of yeah. Stuff. yeah. But I also know that there are people, again, who are working out their salvation, fear and trembling, and, and who've studied this way more than I have, who've ended up there. And mm -hmm. who, who who deeply love and want to follow Jesus. In fact, one of the things I I talked to Bias about years ago, and I hope somebody picks this project up. So somebody listening, yeah, I want somebody to write a version of a faith not worth fighting for in the just for the just war tradition, right? Where they ask some of these same questions and then ask other questions like, what biblical, what what New Testament evidence do you have for? Like ask those the serious questions I have of just war folk. Right? Yeah, right. When I find out somebody's a just war folk, just like somebody finds out I'm pacifist, I have a certain set of questions I want to yeah. ask. Yeah. yeah. And and I would love for a book to to respond to those in thoughtful ways because I think then we can move the conversation forward towards things like just peace, the just peace ethic and others. And we also might find places where we can work together in helping our churches move away from nationalism and and holy war kind of rhetoric right so i think there's a, there's there's a lot of possibilities there with our um with our just war sisters and brothers that are really truly trying to follow jesus and and that's what they've come to so i i'm i'm careful there um to recognize both it's 
its problematic nature, but also the nature of humans, all of us fallible, trying to be faithful to following Christ. That is really good to hear, Justin. Can you just tell us very clearly the name of the book? The Faith Not Worth Fighting For? Is that right? Yeah. A Faith yeah, Not Worth a, Fighting For. A Faith Not Worth Fighting For Addressing Commonly Asked Questions About Christian Nonviolence. So, um, yeah. Honestly, you can probably buy a used copy at this point for not a whole lot. It's been out exactly. since 2012. So, yeah, but um, the questions in it. So, every chapter is devoted to one of these very typical questions. You might not think it, but if you say, what about when Jesus said to pick up two swords or what about Hitler or what about home invasions or what about World War II? If, if somebody asks you, if you ask somebody that question, uh, I guarantee you there is at least one chapter written about it in this book that Justin has edited. I've got to sort of make a slight correction because we, we made a mistake. Trip and oh, yeah. I made a mistake. We did not include commentary on the... Uh, take up your sword. Oh, really? Oh, okay. And that was an absolute mistake of ours and something that if we ever do a new edition, I hope to rectify because that is a very important discussion. But all the other well, I'll do that in the next episode. I'll do that yeah. in the following episode. I'll devote a tent right. talk it's one to that. Important. But all the other questions, I mean, the what about Hitler? What about Romans 13? What about the supposedly yeah. violent Jesus in Revelation? What about yeah. protecting your neighbor? Isn't pacifism you know, being passive, you have to reject calling the police if you're a pacifist. Like all of Brilliant. those kinds of questions are in this book. Brilliant. And the answers are by, I mean, I don't know how Tripp and I got so fortunate, but by some of the absolute best scholars in the yeah. world on yeah. these topics. And so I feel great promoting it because the secret was just finding people smarter than me to work with. And they, they came through. So. <laughs> and then the most recent book is The Business of War. Yeah, the business of war is also, and I, I'm just an, an edited volume kind of guy. I like to work with other folks. It's the business of war, theological and ethical reflections on the military industrial complex. Um, and so it deals with the variety of issues that come up with that. And it's part of a new series called the business of modern life um, okay. that I'm co-editing that will address various industrial complexes so the in, in mostly from a u.s perspective um but like the the medical industrial complex the sports industrial complex the uh we want to do one like a church slash worship industrial complex like all of these we have one currently um in the works on education one currently in the works on uh massing or the the, the business of incarceration so um, I think it's going to be a really great series that Brilliant. deals with basically how capitalism has ruled our logic when it comes to all of these other individual, yeah. well, some some combination of capitalism and, and nationalism yeah. usually, hence the reason you have industrial, it's usually something blank industrial blank government, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's usually how these work, right? And so this series will kind of try to tackle every part of modern life that we thought we could tackle related to these complexes and hopefully help us disentangle little by little um, yeah. from each of them to, to the degree that we can. Wow.
Justin Bronson Berenger, thank you so much. I think last time I had you on, I said, please come again. Now you've come again. So I'm going to say it again. Please come again. We're going to do this some more. But for now, for now, I'm going to say, God bless you. Uh, Peace in your land as well. And peace amongst your people at this absolutely insane time. (laughs) Yes, we need that. Thank you for your time, Justin. We really appreciate what what you've been ministering to us. Appreciate it. Go well. To further support the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media and learn more about 10th Theology at www.10thTheology.com. Thank you for joining us and God bless everyone.